Welcome to Mornings with Michelle. I'm Michelle Foster and delighted that you chose to join me on my podcast today. We are inspiring dreams and I am so gifted to have the amazing friends and relationships that I have join me on these podcasts because my ultimate goal is to open your minds to the possibility and inspire your dreams for your life to fulfill everything that you want to have an extraordinary life. So welcome again. My name is Michelle Foster and you are with us today at Mornings with Michelle. Well, hello and welcome to Mornings with Michelle. I'm Michelle Foster and today we have a beautiful friend, woman, and client in my life, Kate May. And so Kate today is going to share a story, her hero story. And um, before we do that, let me tell you a little bit about the beautiful Kate May. She is a professional life coach, holistic counselor, NLP practitioner. If you don't know what that means, it's neuro-linguistic practitioner. And she volunteers with the homeless charity. She's a mom and the eldest of five. Kate lives in England. You'll love her accent, as most of us Americans do. And now I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Kate. Hi there, Kate. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm so excited that you're willing to share your amazing journey. Uh, I, I'm just, um, I don't want to give any of it away. All I know is when, when I really got to know you and, and, and what a hero you are to yourself, I was so grateful that you would share it on, on this podcast. Thank you so very much. You're very welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you. So let me ask you, Kate, what is the intention? What are you looking for? What's the outcome of this interview to the listeners, primarily women out there? What are you hoping? What is your intention? Okay, well, I just really hate to see women suffering out there. It's it's something that happened to me and I couldn't actually find anybody who could help me. And I think with the experiences that I've been through, I have the knowledge and all that experience to pass it on to other people. I just hate to see anybody suffering. Mm. Um, Great. So, so that's why you went into the profession because you are also an interior designer. But that's why you went into the profession you did, because of your heart. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to take you back, Kate, and I want to, I'm going to dig pretty deep here, because um, I think that the most beautiful way we can show love to others is to really share our vulnerability. And so I believe that when you grow, it's because you don't know. So I'm going to dig pretty deep in this interview. Is that, do I have your permission? You have my permission. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Okay. So let's go back to an event in your life that really, let's, before that event happened, who were you and what did that event do to you? So go back to whatever place in time that, that you were in a good place. Yeah. Um, well, I was a single mom. I had a great life. I was working, lots of friends going out all the time, always somebody that everyone looked up to. I worked really, really hard. I was always hitting my targets. Everything was great. Um, and, and I just loved life. Life was brilliant. Um, so that was me before 
the real, you know, before stuff started to get a little bit too much. So I was always very, probably had a very addictive personality from the start. I could always notice with myself. Sometimes I have a bit of OCD. Sometimes I'd always, you know, I'd have to be the life and soul of the party. I was always the one that just went that extra all the time. Um, so that was me. So you believed at that time that you just played full out, right? You lived loud and you played full out and you truly believed you were happy, correct? Yeah, yeah, I really okay. did. Okay, so something happened. Would you share this story with us, please? Yeah, of course. Um, well, in 2004, there was the tsunami. Sure. And um, my youngest sister, she was out in Thailand and she sadly passed away. Um, luckily, you know, we managed to get our body back and everything else. Um, so let me clarify. So she got, she was washed, she was in the tsunami and, and, and didn't make it. Yeah, she didn't okay. make it. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. And I suppose, and I always convinced myself, but I, but I know this to be true, that because there were sort of 250,000 other people that died, it sort of made it a little bit easier, so I thought. Yeah, um, and it, it does now, but at the time I kept making excuses, you know, like that. And um, but uh, were you close to your sister? I mean, you're yeah. a family member, were you close to your close family? Very close, yeah, very close to um, so it's like losing a best friend and your little sister. Wow, um, and of course, my, my son, she was the bestest auntie, you know, and she, and she lived here with us. Oh, so my. really, really hard work. and. I carried on working and everything else and there were some days I just couldn't and I would just stay in and I would just drink. Um, so let me stop you there. So were you a yeah. drinker prior to this? Yeah, I used to. Yeah, I mean alcohol was always around. I think uh, as 70s kids in the UK, there was always alcohol around. It's quite a normal thing, you know. But it was social um, drinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, I used to drink at home. My parents used to drink at home. Most people did drink at home, you know. So uh, it wasn't wrong to come home and have a glass of wine after work. Right, but you, you didn't have a problem with alcohol is what I'm asking. I did a little bit, uh, but I just put it down to that sort of addictive personality that I had, you know, it was just one of those things. Okay, okay. Um, and then, basically, I ended up, sort of drinking two or three bottles of wine a night. So you um, made a decision after your sister's death and this event, yeah. you made a decision to drink a lot. Yeah, it was the way I, it comforted me. Okay. It, I drowned my sorrows, as the saying goes. And, it, you know, it, it gave me, it, it stopped all those thoughts, it stopped all that pain, it stopped everything, and it became my best friend in the end. And sadly, um, I started to wake up in the morning and think, oh God, you know, my head's hurting. Right, I'll have a hair of the dog. Um, so you'd have another drink and it'd get you, get you through the day. So you made a decision to drink more and then you allowed yourself to become a massive drinker, right? Those, and I want yeah. to emphasize, those were decisions. You made yeah. decisions. You have an addictive personality, 
which can take you to anywhere, but you made yeah. those decisions. Okay. All right. Yeah. So what happened when you changed that decision or did you make some more decisions? Did you go even deeper in addiction or what happened? I did. Um, I mean, I, I stopped eating properly. And with that, so did my son, you know, and I spent my money on, on the alcohol. And um, there was a time when I even went into drugs. Um, and basically, I, I just completely lost my, my, myself, my soul, everything. I just so you made that. a decision that being a mom just wasn't very important at that point, correct? Yeah, it wasn't. That as long as I could get the alcohol, that was, that was it. The, the, the addiction had completely taken over. Okay. All right. Yeah. So what happened when you made this decision where the decision changed? Why did you change your decision? Because I watched my son. I mean, I've been through so many sort of groups and AAs and that sort of thing. And things would, things would change for a few months. And then it would just go back to what it was, you know. So you did and, seek help. So you went to AA. You did try and get yeah. help, which was a decision. Yeah. So okay. I did make some good decisions along the way. But I really, really did go downhill. Um, and I was told I had severe liver cirrhosis and that I was going to die. Wow. wow. So, um, and I remember coming out of hospital and, and, and getting straight back on the drink again. It's just, God knows why, but that's just what happens when you're an addict. Um, and I remember watching my son going out to school one morning. Um, and thinking, oh God, you know, they've said I'm going to die. Well, my sister's not here to take care of him because she's she died in 2004. Yeah, I've got other family, but I have a duty as a mum to look after that boy. Mm. And I just, oh, so I can't even explain that frustration and that pain. And so that was the day I actually phoned one of my sisters and said, because luckily I have another two sisters, you know, Always a good one. But um, I remember phoning them up and just saying, get, I really need some help. I've made the decision. This is the day. And, and that's how I finally got on the right path because I made that choice. That so if I, can, if I can ask you, the pain of not changing was greater than the pain of changing at that point. Is that a fair comment? Yeah. Because it was more about your son than it was about yourself. Yeah. And suddenly I became unselfish um because yeah okay it was about me i didn't want to die la 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 but that boy who i absolutely adored and i still do you know um I, he needs his mum and of course he's been through hell too well he had been through hell back at that time in 2004 as well so so you weren't feeling so it was selfish but it wasn't a feeling of worthiness it was a feeling of a love for your son. There's a big difference yeah. between doing something out of worthiness and love for yourself. But I do believe, and it sounds like in your case, it's easier to love somebody else, especially your son. It's easier yeah. to love him more than it was to love yourself more at the time. Is that what yeah. really was the trigger? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it definitely was. And that was, and it was, it was a, it, almost an immediate decision. Um, it's funny how something like that could just happen so quickly. It's instantaneous and that's it. That's it. That's what I'm going to do. And 
I just went for it, you know. So at that point, because your nervous system, when you make a decision, either way, um, your nervous system changes, right? So yeah. your nervous system that day in that moment, and then that, that conviction to your sister. So were you able to do this all on your own? Were you able to just stop at that moment? That was it? Um, I did, but um, I then needed real serious help because I was too far gone, you know, I really was. Um, the fact I had severe liver cirrhosis anyway, I needed hospital treatment and I did go off and do 28 days in a rehab um, before I came back into the real world. So yeah. let me ask you, Kate, what did you say to your son when you told him you were going to go get help? Do you remember? To be honest, he came back from school and the house was chaotic. My mother was here. One of my sisters was here. I was packing. I couldn't really pack. I was all over the place. And I just said, I'll be back as soon as I can. I didn't really give him an explanation because I was all over the place uh, mm -hmm. mentally. Looking uh, back, do you think that was a smart thing to not get him tied into your um, shit? I, I, it was terrible what I did then. I just literally up to left him, you know. But was he with your sister? He was with my mum. He okay. was with my mum, so he was fine. But, um, you know, it's... So you feel, you feel like that you, you felt like you up and left him? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, so let me ask you a question. Yeah. Have you forgiven yourself for that? If you yeah. feel that, okay, good. Yeah, cool. yeah, I've forgiven myself for absolutely everything. I totally surrendered the whole, the whole damn lot. You know, <laughs> there's so much to, to let go of. And it's about that letting go. And it's about becoming you again. And you have to almost learn to be yourself again. So you've got to let that stuff go. Otherwise, you'll never move on. So you came home. And when you first saw your son, can you take me back to that moment? What were you feeling? Just, um, just like, wow, we've been given a second chance, you know? Mm -hmm. And we're gonna make this work now. And gosh, you know, he did come and see me in, in rehab the once. Um, and I remember watching him getting out of the car and come running into this place he'd never been to before, you know? And so when I eventually did get home, I knew he'd, he'd forgiven me and he was in love with the fact that I had made that decision in the beginning to go there. How old um, was he at the time, Kate? How old the boy was he? He was about 14. Wow. And yeah. he was able to just let it go and forgive his mom. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, we have talked so much about it, you know. But I mean, back then, when you weren't with him, and he was running into that rehab, and he was just so excited to see you, it wasn't about what you did to him or yep. just wanted to love his mom. Yeah, and that was and that was about, that was two weeks into rehab. So you could imagine, you know, you, you, you haven't seen anybody. Yeah. You might have had the odd phone conversation, but actually when you see them and you see them running and you fall in love again and you fall in love with life again and it makes you even more determined that you're going to get out of there and the whole of your life is going to be different. 
You know, that's a big, I want to stop you there for a second because I think it's common, correct me if this happened to you, when we start to feel less perfect, when we start to feel like we're failing, we hide. And, yeah. and it's probably the worst thing we could ever do. It is. It is. Because it's almost, it's very strange when you've been a very strong person and you've always got the answers and you're always in control um, to suddenly start hiding yourself away it's it's a it's a really really strange thing to have to go through well let me and ask you this because you just said something that i really want to <coughs> tap into you always have the answers you always know do you think there was a learning in in that piece that was um i learned a lot about myself because you think that you can control everything that ah. you know everything ah. You don't, and you've got to. You, it's a, it, you've got it dead on there, Michelle. I mean, that's exactly what it is, and that's how a lot of us live our lives. In in the fact that we we think we're strong enough, we we know we're always right, uh, or we believe we're always right, um, and that we need to control everything. And it and it's just self sabotage. It really is. Okay, so let me let me talk about how you went from I know everything i can control everything to do you now say what you i don't look to gain control now i i really don't i ask for help when i need it uh, i have a coach your wonderful self um <laughs> i have a really supportive family which i never used to let into my life too much before I was always sort of like, no, 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 I can do it, I can do it, I don't need to tell them, I don't need to ask them. Did you feel that you were socialized into that role potentially because you were the oldest? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And there's a there's a lot of pressure on the elder child, uh, eldest child, there really is. And you, you sort of don't think there is, but there is. Where, no, they write books about firstborns. They yeah. really do. And I'm a little schnooky, so I had it all. They didn't have a lot of expectations of me, but I got everything that my brother got. With no expectations. I loved being the baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? It's it's funny. So but let me just ask you something because I, because you are a professional and and you know and I and I do coach you. I <laughs> respect your knowledge and and the fact that you're such a great coach today. But I I I believe and I'd like to know your opinion um, on this interview. Um, if you if you don't, when you say I know, like when I have clients say to me, I know, I know, I know, I can almost see a wall building between myself and my client. And I and I don't even have to ask them if they're coachable because I don't believe they are. Yeah. So when when people do you believe this as I do, that when you say you don't know, you open up and expand energy and it allows you to vibrate at a higher level, which is growth. Yeah, no, I definitely do. Okay. I definitely do. Yeah, it, it's um, it, it you have to realize that you you can't know everything. You don't know everything, and communication is what it's all about. And and opening yourself up to absolutely everything and anything. So when you go back to see the family, 
and you're still the oldest, and your sister, and I'm so, so sorry to hear about your sissy. I, I truly am. I, yeah, yeah, it's a long time ago now, though. But um, when you go back to your family, do you find yourself getting a little bit trapped in those old beliefs or those old roles? Do you have to really watch yourself from walking in being the older, perfect sister? Do you have to, like, really? Because I'll tell you, when people change their identity, right? We talk about identity and mindset and coaching, right? No matter what you're coaching somebody on, we got to work on their beliefs. But when you go back to that family, the holiday, the, the, the reunion, I always tell people, be careful. You played a role for a very long time in that family unit. So if you get a little wacky, it's, it's, gonna, it's probably not uncommon. Do you now as a practitioner, when you go back to you see your family, do you see yourself sliding into that role or can you catch it every time? No, I can catch it now. I, I probably not every time because I don't think that's ever possible. Okay. But I'm really wary of, of um, you know, don't be, don't be bossy, don't be in control. Uh, you know, give it, give it to somebody else. You know, because there are still four of us siblings anyway, mm -hmm. and I know that my sister Lisa would be saying, "Kate, give it a rest." You know. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, and then. We're all such <clears throat> strong, wonderful people, but so individual. And it's lovely to see everybody shine in their own way without me coming in saying, hey, I'm the eldest, stop that now, you know? So, yeah, Do I like to- Do you feel you're actually closer to your family now because of your new attitude? Yeah, I think so. But I don't know whether they <laughs> think I've got this halo, you know, now because I don't drink and mm. da -de da you know, but- um, no, I just, uh, I, I think everybody just likes the fact that I'm authentic, I'm real, there's no bullshit like there was before, you know, because when you're in an addictive world, basically, there's so much lying, there's so much cheating, there's so much denial, there's so much anger and frustration and pain going on that you blame everybody else and actually they don't really have a part in it. You know, and I want to talk to a good addiction. Um, and that whole perfection thing, if I can digress just a little bit here. So think yeah. about somebody like a, um, a doctor. That everybody looks at a doctor as perfect. And they have to walk around being perfect all the time. At least in their own mind. Yeah. Right? So even when you are being tasked with the eldest, the perfect one, you know, but at the end of the day, like you probably believed your family expected you to be the perfect one as the eldest. And now they're actually relieved that you're just another fucking human being. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's nice. But they, but it's like they all say, we're so glad we've got you back, you know, and, and the fact that you, you've, you've gone on and done stuff that you really wanted to do and you're good at it is brilliant. And you're still who you are to us. It's, it's, you know, it's brilliant. So isn't it just at the end of the day in our own minds, this whole perfection crap and who we are? People just, people don't care that much about your identity. They really don't. What they no. want is to, that you to love them, them to love you, especially family. They just want to have relationship, right? So yeah. this whole perfect mentality really just is in our own brains. Yeah, exactly. There is no such thing as perfect. And, you know, your doctor's not going to be perfect. 
he's going to have his issues. Well, here's Family what I problems. define as perfection, as good as it can be at that moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Because sometimes we will say, oh, wow, that is just so perfect. Right. And at that moment, yes, it is perfect. And it's, and it's wonderful to have those moments. You know, and I just can't keep thinking about a 14-year-old. I mean, the boy that I raised, when he came to me, he was 14. Yeah. And he was so desperate for love, um, but he was not able to be emotional, right? Yeah. I can't even imagine what an extraordinary son you have to know that he was going to see his mom, who he hadn't seen for two weeks, without an explanation, with all the other stuff that went on, and all he could do was love you. Yeah, it's just amazing, honestly, um, to be able to come back from any bad habit, any addiction, and to feel your child's love again, which you probably never stopped feeling before. You, would, you just weren't aware that they were giving it because you were too caught up in something else, you know. So let's talk so. about that doctor that's so busy taking care of everybody else. And he's got that child at home that he never has time for, he or she never has time for because there's no focus. So I I guess what I'm trying to bring out in this conversation is any type of an addictive personality, you know, you have to be careful because too much of anything, a good addiction, what, you know, addiction means it's over the top, right? So if I have, if I have a glass that's too full, Right? It's pouring out. Yeah. And that's the point I was trying to make with that. That really was the point. So now as you are who you are today, how do you, what do you believe about your addictive personality? And how are you feeling in this moment in this interview? Two-fold question. Okay. Well, I am always full of beans. Um, as they say, I'm always happy, I'm always positive. So now, right now in my life, life's just fab. Um, I don't really worry too much if I can. And I, I stop myself because I know it can turn into chaos. Chaos, you know, I, there are certain things I'll do. Like I, I, I might, for instance, go shopping um, and I, I even have to sort of limit myself to sugary drinks and stuff because I can OD on them, you know. It's wow. like, that man. The other day I sort of bought an extra bottle of Coke for some reason. So one goes down the sink because it's too much. And, you know, I'll wow. do the same. Wow. It, it is. You have to be, be aware of what you're doing. So, um, yeah, but life now is just fab. But, yeah, you need to be wary. You need to live in the here and now and you need just to love yourself love the people around you and love your life so what are you feeling right now in this interview what what is in your heart not in your head in your heart in my heart is just love and joy and happiness and flowers and spring and summer and everything you know that's that's how i feel and Michelle, when I talk to you anywhere, you're always so uplifting. Oh, thank you. So, thank you. you know, yeah. But that's- I want to share something with you because I've worked with you now for, you know, quite a few months. Yeah. And I have never seen an obsessive 
an OCD, uh, a com you know, uh, uh, what's it called, obsessive compulsive reaction. And you and you know, you did some really tough stuff. You know, when you start doing a new program, a new marketing concept, a new business. I mean, you really. Uh, I didn't see what you are describing that you may even think you still are today. So all that is is just my opinion and my yeah. view. So you know, take that in because yeah, maybe, just maybe you know your new identity. Maybe you don't have as an addictive personality as you think. I don't know. Only you can define your own yeah set of beliefs. But I just never saw. And believe me, I've seen it with you know clients yeah. where they're you know. Uh, OCD and you know, uh, yeah. well, that's really nice of you to say. And in fact, um, that's something that you know, when somebody says something like that to you, you really need to take it in, mm -hmm. really need to take notes and sit back and think quietly and actually go, Yeah, hang on a minute, what am I going on about? Because not, you know, definitely, I'm going to sit and have a little think about that later. Because a lot of it is what is, is in our thoughts, isn't it? Yes. That's my belief about myself. And in fact, I need to let that one go. I was going to say, maybe there's, an, there's another one to let it go, let it go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thank you from, from just the deepest part of my heart for this time, this interview, our friendship. You've been an extraordinary client and you will be a friend for life. So... I thank, thank you, you so much for this interview. Kate May, the wonderful Kate May. Thank you, Michelle. For well, that's a wrap for today. I want to thank you for your time. It's so precious. Our time and our time freedom is everything. So I want to thank you for joining us today at Mornings with Michelle. Uh, this is Michelle Foster, and I encourage you to come visit us on Instagram at Collagen Works, W-E-R-K-S, Collagen Works, because we are doing some fun things there with Instagram parties, with fun giveaways. We have, it's all about beauty and all about fun tips. So again, go ahead and go to your Instagram and become part of our community at Collagen Works because we have really fun Instagram parties. Looking forward to seeing you there. And always feel free to comment on the podcast or if there's something that you would like us to talk about, please let me know your thoughts. That would be amazing. Have a super fantastic day, my friend. This is Michelle Foster from Mornings with Michelle, signing off. <laughs>